Hello everybody, my podcastian friends. It's Was here with the Master of None podcast, episode 10. Welcome to episode 10. It's it's quite a landmark, actually. So well done to everybody who's had a listen. I appreciate it very, very much. And uh, it feels quite good to have that body of work now behind me. <laughs> we see it as that. Um, so thank you for joining me for the 10th one. Now, I've, uh, I've just recently changed over the platform that we are hosting the Master of None podcast on. And that's due to, well, probably a couple of factors. But one of the main ones being is that the new one, which is Anchor, is, has a, the ability to then put the episodes, distribute them to a much wider array of platforms, which makes it easier for you fine people to have a listen and you know get the notifications and updates and so forth because you might have a Spotify or Google podcast something a little bit more well known I suppose and be able to check that out with more ease now I'm going to go through the different platforms that it is now available on if you're still uh, if you did make the effort which I sincerely appreciate to get Podbean there's obviously a ton of fantastic podcasts there. The first eight episodes of the Master of None podcast are there. Uh, and episode nine and ongoing will be starting with Anchor and then distributed to the following. So make sure you have a look and see if you can uh, find something that works for you. So we've got anchor.fm, which is this one, of course. The Apple Podcasts. Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, uh, Radio Public, and Stitcher. So they're the other ones that are available. Now, on my Instagram, which is Swamp Bastard Guitars, feel free to add me, follow me, or at least send a message and say hello. Don't identify yourself as a listener of the podcast and Perhaps, if you're comfortable, uh, where you're from in the world, just out of curious uh, curiosity, and you know any other ideas and thoughts and feedback that you have, of course. But yeah, identify yourself, say hi. It'd be great to hear from you. But there are a couple of uh, I've had a couple of posts up there to sort of distribute the the information about these this new uh, uh, selection of platforms so yes (laughs) sorry I'm just thinking out loud here if you want to check out uh, any of the episodes from 9 onwards feel free to have a look at some of those but thank you for joining me today now speaking of the changeover and so on I did I've actually done uh, a part 2 of uh, about horrors a couple of times which is a little sad because been unable to keep that recording for whatever reason. Who knows? It might show up and then I can install it as a, a later one or I'll just redo it, which is, is fine. It allows me to think a little deeper sometimes on the subject matter and have a little bit more of an informed approach when I discuss it. So bear with me and, and that's something I might talk about. I'm not feeling it today, talking about horrors, mainly because already done it in my own mind so I actually was pondering it uh, last night and then this morning 
and thought that perhaps video games would be a fantastic topic. And I'll start with ones that I remember from when I was young. And I guess it's like the musical journey. It's it's taking it from my perspective and, and my experience, but then bringing it up to modern day and games that I've enjoyed as well. My children, of course, are, are heavily into different particular games as well and and I guess a lot more savvy when it comes to tech and all of those social media platforms and everything that kids are involved with these days. But we have a lot of good conversations about the, the different game releases that come out and their thoughts and feelings on them. I haven't been much of a game. I'm not sure I ever classified as a gamer, but I haven't really done any gaming for quite a while um, for various reasons. But I think it's one of those things that probably starts to wane as you get older. Maybe. Maybe that's a reason. But uh, whatever it is, I, I hope to at least enjoy some of the, the classic ones that uh, I've enjoyed in the past at some point in the future too. Let's get a good setup for it. Um, so, we'll take you right back to my first experience with gaming. Now, I think I was probably in grade one or grade two something around that it was possibly about 1984 1985 now my only experience and this could cross over with the other is the arcade games that you see at the roller skating rink that we had in our local area which was a great place I had such fond memories of there <laughs> um, they had the tabletop games like Gallagher and uh, well, I'm not sure they had asteroids, but I particularly remember Gallagher. That was the one that uh, I always remember sitting at. Never put money in it. I don't think I ever played it. <laughs> but always sat there and pretended to. And I had fond memories of that because that was such a unique thing at that time. I don't ever remember seeing them anywhere else. And I was quite young. Uh, one day, my, my dad brought home a gaming system from, I think, somebody at, at his work to show us, plugged it into our little, one of our little box televisions in the bedroom and set it all up and it was like a tank battle where there were these very pixelated boxes uh, moving around on a one, it was basically a one screen map and you just move around a bit of a maze of obstacles that are on that map and then try to fire off a few rounds at the other tank, so it was a two player game. You start in you know, opposing corners and then try to finish the other one before they finish you. And then it just resets. And I guess you have a number of lives until you, there's a clear winner. And now, my only real distinct memory of it is that, is just playing it, standing there, looking up at it with a kind of sense of awe and reverence, thinking, wow, I'm controlling this right now on this uh, strange little controller kind of pad that you used it, it sort of I, I seem to remember the cursors being like a bit of a foil cover now I'm sure someone out there probably knows the name of that system very very well I never knew at the time either I can only speculate it, it could have been one of the earliest uh, Ataris um, but yeah again I, I wasn't because I didn't have that understanding, really, of what was going on. I just remember the experience itself. And it was wonderful. And I think it was only one night, maybe one or two nights, and, and then we gave it back. But I've always remembered that. 
as my first experience with with uh, gaming. Uh, it was probably then in the late 80s. Now I couldn't name the year, but it was Christmas in the late 80s, and we got a Commodore 64, which I'm sure many people would recall as being maybe their first experience with computers or even gaming or a household computer. Lots of us had arcade games in local shopping centres and, you know, the roller rink, the bowling alley, all that sort of stuff. But probably very few people owned some kind of gaming platform in their house. And the Commodore 64 really enabled a fairly affordable unit. And at that point of time, it was a, there was a tape player and there was the built-in cartridge receiver in the back of the keyboard. And we had a bunch of uh, cartridge games that we received. And the one that I guess probably stood out amongst that selection, because like every computer package, I guess you get something with a word processor, something as a bit of a learning tool. And we got uh, International Soccer and Wizard of War. And... International soccer was good fun because it was actually, for, for the year that it was, it was a very enjoyable game and you could, uh, you could actually have hours of competition on there. And it, it seemed to work very well. There were little tricks like, like everything. You figure out how to move across somebody and steal the ball. And I guess the moves are probably far less advanced than they are now. But it was very playable and I, I remember it very fondly. The, the Wizard of War game was probably the standout of that early period when we first had it because like the tank battle game, it was something of a fairly simple setup. Uh, two sort of astronaut teams and you could play it single player or, or two player and that was a wonderful thing with a lot of those games. And you come in from either side but you would fight monsters throughout these mazes and they were just single screen uh, shots, but you would move around this maze shooting the different creatures. And each time you finished off a round of creatures, the, the kind of creatures that were there would be stronger and more difficult until you made your way up to, uh, and then each level would change, the, the maze would change, the creatures would intensify or a change would be stronger, and then there would be one where you would face the wizard. I can't remember the specific level where that would be it, but you would it would be every you know ten levels or something, and you would face the wizard in an open screen, and he would fire off laser uh, like lightning bolts, and you'd have to do almost like a quick draw because as soon as he was facing you, he would fire off a laser bolt. You need to be really quick to finish him off, and then you would proceed on to the next uh, row. You'd have double scored dungeons. I remember that very well. And uh, there was that great simplistic music that would play ominously in the background. Uh, but there was such a charm to the old stuff because it had to be simple. It had to be so lo-fi that uh, it didn't use up too much of the, the available space on these cartridges. So it was just a great little loop of music. But I remember that fondly, my brothers and I. And they were the, probably the two... Uh, probably Wizard of War and then, you know, looking back, those experiences, the ones that really cemented our love for gaming. Uh, I mean, I couldn't even name, I couldn't even begin to name the, the, uh, the 
the long assembly of games that we had in the ensuing years, but there were probably hundreds. And it got to that point, as it, as it probably does these days with smartphones and uh, tablets, you can pretty much download anything, play it for two minutes, and work out whether you like it or not, and never play it again. And that's the, the convenience, I guess, of, of what it is now. But back then, I guess it was similar. You could get a mixed, uh, a mixed tape of different games, or you could get, eventually, you could get a disc, and you would have a whole selection on it. You'd load up a menu and then be able to choose a different game to load. So it got steadily more advanced as it went on. But some real standouts for me over that period were uh, Pitfall. Pitfall 2 was the one that I remember very well. It was a very interactive game. You could swing on, uh, on vines. You could lower yourself down into sort of pits. You could jump, swim... Um, and it, there was a lot of different level uh, designs as well. So it, it sort of did keep you very busy and was quite involved for such an early game. It's like a platformer, I guess you would say. Uh, Beachhead 2, that was a Beachhead 1 and 2, they were great. Um, again, like very involved for as simple as the game was, very involved games, the different levels where you, you have soldiers maybe running up the beach towards you. It's like first person feeling and you're firing off artillery at them, um, and machine guns and so on. And there was another one where they were, they were approaching along a road, but it was sort of back and forth across the screen, like a platformer of sorts. And you would have to use... One person would be using guns to try and clear the other one. So that was two-player as well. One would be laying mines and trying to destroy the convoys that come through. The other person would be trying to stop them before they were able to cause any significant damage. And it would tally up the total of, uh, of troops and transports and tanks, etc., that you would destroy through all these different levels. So it would slowly tip to one player's advantage. So by the time you reach the final uh, level, it could either be a real challenge because you've managed to hold on to a balance or it would be <laughs> the other person would be completely overwhelmed. But that was the wonderful thing because each time you played it could be different. And... That was some of the charm of some of those older games too. Some had a real pattern. You had to learn the pattern. And like a fight game, you'd learn the special moves. You learn the, the sequencing of the buttons. But games like that uh, gave it a lot of depth and gave it a lot of addictive uh, nature as well. And you would just, you'd be at it for ages and then be like, all right, do you want to play this? Do you want to play this? All right, let's play this. Because so many of them were two-player, which was, was really cool at the time as well. Another one was Airborne Ranger. I remember my older brother was was really good at that and had a real keen eye for detail when he was playing. He'd like to execute the mission perfectly. And as a younger chap, uh, those kinds of games made me nervous. So I used to like asking him if I could just fire the space bar because the space bar was the firing uh, button. And he would just simply say, right, fire, and you know, do a couple of shots. It would tell me exactly how many to fire, so we'd use the minimum of, uh, of ammunition that we need. But that was a really that was an enjoyable experience too. And I remember going up through the ranks <laughs> with him and uh, doing all these different missions. It was quite involved as well. A little bit. I'm not going to relate it to Fortnite or play unknown battlegrounds, battlegrounds, which are you know very new games, and I'm sure 
a lot of people know those names, but you, you, there would be an airdrop at the start where you would choose you'd choose your position where you want to start the map, and then there'd be a mission to finish. And I guess the only similarity I'm placing there is that that airdrop aspect of it. You, you fly over and you pick your landing field, which I think for the time that was pretty pretty advanced kind of idea. And uh, it was sort of, what would you just call it? It was sort of, it was map view, but it was also a, a front view. So you would see the soldier and you'd see, it would kind of be 3D, but it wasn't. It was like isometric, I suppose. Um, but it worked really well. But for something that didn't have all of the fancy uh, game engines that the games of today do, the, the feeling of creating a 3D space was actually quite effective without kind of uh, being too demanding on the system. So that was really good fun too. So that's Airborne Ranger. Um, moving forward, like again, there's just so many games from that period. It's, it's really hard to focus in on a couple. But one other, before I move on to the next uh, level of computing, <laughs> was Red Storm Rising. And I don't. I think it was a kind of premium release at the time, but it was uh, it was such an involved game. It had a keyboard overlay that you had to print out from the massive book that they released with it as part of the the uh, I guess the manual in how to play it. So the keyboard overlay went. You had to cut it all out and laminate it, and then lay it over the C sixty four keyboard so you could do quick reference. But it was literally all but maybe the middle keys of the the letters every other key was almost in use so it was it was amazing really at the time and then you'd still use the joystick as well for targeting and and some more manual controls um so in that itself never i never have played a game before or since that that utilized so much of the the uh controls and the keyboard all in the one experience but I think they did it fairly well, and, and it was a good idea to have that overlay as part of it to, to simplify the process. So um, the the object of the game, it's called World War Three in the Atlantic, and it's uh, based on a Tom Clancy novel uh, where the story involves some, uh, I think, you know what, I'm never going to speculate because I'll probably get it wrong. But it involves a war between the, the Soviet, you know, the Soviet forces, USSR, and um, the forces of the West, the United Nations, uh, the Warsaw Pact, and the United Nations. So the the uh, they invade Poland, and and through different convoys and battle groups being sent, you have a map screen where you can see different groups coming out of the east heading towards other areas you sort of have to anticipate because you're controlling a naval battle group or controlling a sub anyway and you lock in on something you try and intercept it and then it takes you to the battle screen now that's only part of it because if you've chosen the wrong group something that was a little less significant in the story the event that was predestined to happen if if the convoy is successful uh still goes ahead 
you know, gets to where it needs to be. There's an attack on something, or they uh, are able to take control of a certain territory or piece of land, and the story keeps propelling forward. So it's kind of a a, a bit of a game of luck, but a game of tactic, uh, tactical decision as well. And that made it quite stressful. <laughs> like gave it quite a level of stress because the uh, the battles themselves were very involved because there'd be a whole battle group of different naval ships. Now it's very simplistic. So when we're talking graphics here, it's, it's literally like a control screen, like you were in a sub. So there's like a sonar screen, and it'll say if the sonar's advanced enough, it'll say what type of vessel you're hunting. But it. If you're moving too quickly or too loud, they, they can detect you, of course, and try and attack. And you've got control of the torpedoes. You can launch them up to the surface. There's there's air, air, aircraft attacks, bombing runs. And you've got to try and, I guess, fend them off, but also sink the key ships. And it was such a, a technical and complicated game. But as soon as you had any level of success, and I mean any level, it was so rewarding because you really felt like you were doing something important. <laughs> well, as a young man, anyway, as a young a young kid trying to work this out, it's it did seem it had a lot of weight to it, and so that made it more enjoyable. Uh, it was also deeply frustrating <laughs> because it was so technical that if you weren't thinking straight or you weren't in the mood, it was hard to get any kind of success and often they would overrun and win. Well, I think, I'm not sure I ever had any win. I never played it to its conclusion. But I would play it over and over in the first few sequences and occasionally have more success and see the enemy push back. But there was this great map where the red from the east would just spread across the west. And so it was, uh, yeah, it was this ongoing battle of... uh, trying to hold them back and, and perhaps push them back a little. So that was probably the, the most involved and the one that really stands out the most for me. And um, n- no one else really gave that much of a, a play, but I really liked it. So, yeah, I did give it a lot of time. Uh, it was a point in the early 90s. We got our first PC. Uh, I wish I could remember the type. I'm fairly sure it was a 486DX. I don't know what the meaning of any of that is, but it was apparently decent enough at the time. And even just watching the uh, the screensaver videos was was something of deep uh, deep importance because it it was just so far advanced from what we'd experienced on the Commodore. And the Commodore did it all so well, but then all of a sudden you hit with the the graphic improvement that you get from the PCs of of that time and a couple of standout titles of course uh, a Doom and Wolfenstein 3D probably being the one that really defines that early PC period for me uh, Commander Keen Duke Nukem um, Shadow Warrior which was very similar to Duke Nukem in a lot of ways but didn't uh, get as much fanfare I think when it was released but Duke Nukem, well, there was a platform version, and then there was Duke Nukem 3D. So there was one and two, I'm guessing. I'm not sure. Maybe Duke Nukem 3D wasn't three, but it was just number two, but in 3D. Who knows? They were great fun. Um, 
And there was a few other sim. Oh, Commander Keen. That was always there was about six or seven of those, and uh, they were just good fun. They were pretty harmless fun platformer type games as well. But those those PC platformers just they added enough to the overall feel and the smoothness of the the graphics, the way that they felt when you're running around and. Uh, and like there would be switches that you could operate and doors to open. It was just that little bit more involved, a little bit smoother and clearer to watch. And so it had, there was an addictive quality to them uh, where you're just happy to jump back in and play that that level that you already knew really well. And that was very, very true of uh, Wolfenstein 3D. I mean, we only had the first uh, episode, I think they were called. There's probably eight or nine in the whole game. We had the first one. But you could play that time and time again slightly differently or get to know the secret passageways, where the soldiers were, and play it a certain way to just change the experience. And I'm sure that's not unfamiliar to a lot of people out there in in the way that games were. Uh, Doom was a little more, well, it was very dark. I guess the weapons were the thing that excited us as kids. The, The change of the sound design, and also the overall feel, the, uh, the, 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 the I'm going to say the feel of the guns, but um, at the time it was just such an exciting uh, change-up. The, the whole first-person shooter thing was something that uh, had been tinkered with. There was a few, there was a few kind of loose-eyed first-person type shooters on the Commodore. But they weren't very effective because it would uh, graphically it just couldn't do it, and uh, you know the the PCs really really made that a possibility. So all of the the uh, the copycats, I suppose, that came out around the Wolf the Wolfenstein 3D time period and then ongoing, all had that certain feel. Now, Wolfenstein 3D was very you know it, it didn't have any kind of movement in the way you walk there was no swaying or bumping around you just sort of felt like you slid around the uh, the building but it had such a good depth uh, when you're moving through it now, that was enough it felt like it was you were there at the time laughable now <laughs> but yeah it was something that uh, that was really really good fun and we always used to enjoy it a lot um, I'm just thinking onwards from there because it just gets more and more technical. Now, probably, all right, two two standout games for me in that whole time frame and also even into the present day. I guess this is maybe where this was my golden age of, of PC gaming. I was happy with the detail that they'd achieved. I was... And I really liked the gameplay detail that they had as well. It was like they were, the balance of, of both worlds. It wasn't too much but they had enough graphic power to um, bring certain aspects of, of an idea to life well as well. So SimCity 2000, and maybe this is because I played it the most as well because there have been so many of the SimCity games and Sims games and um, even when you think about Grand Theft Auto and Civilization and Colonization. So, well, all right, three games. <laughs> So SimCity 2000, Colonization, and Civilization were all, you know, my favourites. I think. I think that caps off the the whole time period really, for me. Um, colonization being 
a, a Sid Meier, well, Sid Meier, uh, written game. I'm not sure if he was the actual programmer because he started to just have his name stamped on a lot of product. But colonisation was just that. You're, you're in charge of uh, a, a ship of, a, of uh, you know, uh, going across the Atlantic from where, which country you choose. I think it's the, the English, the Dutch, the Spanish, and there's another one, oh, the French, of course. And you can... Uh, you go over and you have colonists and I think a soldier and you can uh, you can settle a colony and you get to know the, the lay of the land and the different kind of bonuses you get from certain kinds of landscape you know swamps open savannah kind of grass areas you have um, grassland mountains or you know hills and then you have mountains rivers etc etc and you can choose somewhere that you know is going to be a good place to have a colony and start one off. And then the ultimate aim of the game, not to, to go on too long about that particular one, is to settle the colony, build it up to a point where you've got stockades, fortress, it's armed and defended. Um, it has uh, a lot of diverse trades, like qualified trades in it. So. The production that comes from your colony is effective, or your colonies, because the idea being that you build up a a country of of cities and settlements with a, a fair amount of military strength, industrial strength, commercial strength. You can trade with your original uh, country of of departure, and eventually, there's growing resentment, uh, of course until such a point that you decide to, well, that you gain enough uh, rebel sentiment, as it's called, to declare independence. And then you have to fight a war of independence with that mother nation. And that's that's a really cool element behind the game because it, it is quite extensive. It takes a long time. And particularly if you have a lot of settlements, it's a very, it's a turn-based thing, but every unit in the game has a turn if it is active so it can take a long time to have one turn and so it sort of it it moves on quickly at the start and then once it's very involved it becomes quite slow just depends on your level of involvement and how happy you are with how things are going there are the native americans to decide what to what to uh, to do with them which it sounds terrible now but i guess to stay true to the historical nature of the game the spanish were you know, conquistadors so they went in with a destroy or uh, or convert to christianity kind of mentality so you can put missionaries in the the settlements and try and have a good relationship with them where they donate goods and services and people sometimes or you can wipe them out sadly that's part of the the option and it gives you a certain amount of gold from from places that you take over and you can buy more troops and and everything with that so it's quite a deep it's a it's a simple looking game but it's quite a deep experience and i remember it very very fondly um because yeah, there was, I don't know, there was just a, a real addictiveness to the look and the feel of it. 
and having any success with it. It was a very, very enjoyable experience. The civilization, again, another Sid, uh, Sid Meier, uh production is probably better known. Um, and Civilization 2 was the one that was, has always been the one that I've enjoyed the most. We did have the first one. And I think my brother has played subsequent releases, but I played a lot of Civ Civilization 2, and it's the one that I'm more than happy with as well. So it's a, in a similar kind of way, but you're talking about uh, civilization in general, starting off with primitive man and then evolving and developing, building, researching through time until you reach a point where you can build a spacecraft to reach and then colonize Alpha Centauri. Um, so that's the ultimate ga- the ultimate aim of the game is to do that, is to achieve that before any other nation does. If you wipe out every other civilization that is existing in your time frame, uh, you win the game as well. So it could be done with conquest if that's your sole aim, or it could be done you know by technological means. So I always preferred the technological means, um, even to the point where you could manipulate the gameplay enough to wipe out almost everybody on the uh, on the world map and keep <laughs> keep one civilization in a selection of cities uh, under your wing to enable you to develop the whole planet and then still achieve a technological victory as well. Uh, but essentially having control the entire time, like a world power. So there's so many, there's so many uh, possible ways to play that game out. Again, that's one that could be played differently each and every time, depending on your approach, but then also some of the luck that takes place and the reactions of some of the foreign powers. They all have built-in behavioural traits, so certain ones will be more prone to just declaring war or being more treacherous or wanting to find a piece. And it depends on the random mix that you are uh, faced with at the start and also the landmass uh, designs because they can be random and you might end up on a, a one square island which doesn't give you any kind of scope until you can in- develop um, ships. And so you, I guess then you have to become some level of seafaring nation. But then again, if you are on a massive landmass in the centre of it, You've got to then develop your your land transport and also your your farming and, and everything like that. Tend to get a lot more population that way too. It's again very involved, and uh, but I love that part about it. You've got to irrigate land, develop it. You've got to build um, roadways, railways. You can have defence forces, of course, and uh, diplomatic relations with with other. Um, nations, other civilizations, and you just slowly work your way up to that ultimate goal. And that's that's hours of play there. <laughs> so gone are the times where you've got that kind of time. But something uh, of a curious nature, I, I was reading a little while ago uh, about a person that's been, well, has been playing the same game of Civilization 2 for over 10 years. And He's been trying to play it in a way that would represent how a modern, sensible, wise power would try to run their country, their civilization, by by having peace talks, by 
having treaties, by uh, seeking peace where wherever it is possible, but also not taking any any crap from other people. And he's been locked in a nuclear war with another nation for, I think, almost that full amount of time. Every time there's a, a hint of peace, they then do a surprise attack. So he's trying to play this out to see what actually happens ultimately. Now, it sounds like this person has a lot of time, but I think it was saying that uh, this is something played when there's time. You know, load it up and then play another hour or two of the game and, and try to progress it. So when it's when we say 10 years, that could be something that has had a grand total of 20 hours gameplay. You're not quite sure. But it sounds rather epic. And I'm curious to hear about that in the future and see what happened. If this person played it until its ultimate conclusion or if it's just locked in this balance of power. But that, I guess, is the, the draw of the game. It can be whatever you want it to be. And if you're not enjoying it, you just shut it down, walk away. Uh, so it could be as, as all-encompassing or as quick play as you see fit. But yeah, very fond memories of that. Very, very fond memories of that. So SimCity 2000, I didn't really talk about that already. So colonization, brilliant. Civilization 2, brilliant. SimCity 2000, similar period of time as well. Uh, basically building a city to be successful. And that's it, a bit similar in civil, to Civilization 2 in the fact that the, the ultimate aim in the city is to develop it to a point where you can build these huge residential towers uh, that will ultimately take off <laughs> and go into space to allow the restoration of the, the Earth. And, uh, well, I mean, the city stays there if you've still got suburbs and, and other kinds of buildings, but it lessens the, I guess, the population demands. That's kind of the ultimate uh, success. But it, that, again, that's a, an epic game. It starts off with a blank piece of, uh, of land, whether it's river, coastal, nothing, and you just have to build this up. And you can do it with a very limited budget or you can try and give yourself a, a higher budget. But you start off with a small low density kind of village and depending on the infrastructure you put in and, and the services and the tax rates that you put there and, you know, if you put in railway or subway freeways airports seaports it just keeps building up uh, to be like a metropolis or a series of villages i suppose you can build it however you want it's quite a large map gives you a lot of space to develop something that you really keen on doing and I found that to keep the pollution levels at a, an appropriate level because all of the power plants that are available early on are highly polluted except for hydro but the issue is with hydro you need waterfalls to do it so the thing that uh, my brothers and I I guess had worked out was if you edit yourself a map to begin with you would make it as flat as possible to minimise any landscaping works because you've got to pay for those as well. Uh, make sure there's plenty of fresh water to be able to use for water supply. And then also put in just one huge mountain at the edge of the screen covered in waterfalls. <laughs> and you could just add to that over the course of the game. And I mean huge because to take the, the issue with hydro is a low supply. Um, so yeah, you would make it huge and just slowly add to that 
every couple of turns you'd have to add to it to keep the power supply generous. And uh, the, this it does sound full geek, doesn't it? <laughs> um, but it was it was good fun. It was great fun, and yeah, there's nothing more pleasurable than seeing a city without because basically if there was like a dead zone, it'd be black which would mean it's in decline, so it would drop back in its development. So you might have had a, at a high-rise apartment block, it would suddenly go back to, it would just be all black for a little while, and then it would go back to small housing, and uh, all those small apartment blocks. And it was very, very displeasing to see any of those black areas throughout. And then you could have natural disasters, you could have accidents, you could have earthquakes, alien attacks. There was a whole bunch of things. We used to disable the the weird kind of things, disable all traumas, <laughs> and then you just have the human uh, dramas that would be there to deal with. So we're just talking about traffic congestion, pollution, unhappiness, crime. There'd be all these overlays for the map that would show you hot spots for these things and you would have to deal with them appropriately. And it, it was so involved but to strike the balance was where the real pleasure in the game was. You, you found the balance of things to, to put into place. So everyone was happy, um, or as happy as possible. It, it looked great, <laughs> and it, it was still growing. It was growing at a speed that allowed the city to really take on that look of a metropolis. It was just impossible to contain. So it was good fun. So that was probably the other one of that of that era that's really stayed with me right up to today. I should mention Transport Tycoon. They're all coming back to me now. Transport Tycoon's another city builder, like I guess you could say God mode kind of thing, where you build the transport system on a map, but it's all focused on transport. So the growth of the towns is not out of your hands, but it's it can be influenced by your success, but it's not really controlled by you. So... Um, yeah, you basically meeting demand through all the businesses that are located across the map. And subsidies will be offered for certain connections to be made. Some are impossibly hard to try and get connected, so it'll cost the earth, but the profit to be made. So the ultimate aim of that one is to be profitable, to be able to build it to a point where it's just it's just insanely profitable. Um, that's good fun. I won't, I won't dwell on that one for too long. But, but those are four games now that I highly recommend from that period if you're interested in uh, what would be classed as retro gaming now, vintage gaming, are those. I'm sure that the PCs of our modern era have emulators or uh, accurate copies of those games. I know that Civilization II had a copy, but I think if you can, try and get your hands on one that plays as, as close to the original as possible um, because it always feels a lot better. Uh, I know that Colonization there was an emulator for and I, I'd played that in the last five years anyway and, and that was great. Uh, same with Transport Tycoon. I know that that had a, an emulator so that was able to be played as it was back in the, back in the day. Um, SimCity 2000 and... Uh, Civil, yeah, Civilization 2, I'm not 100% sure about, but if you can, have a look and see what you can find because there's lots of great sites out there. There's a lot of fans of those games and those genres, and there's a ton of other games too to, to play, often for free too because they're sort of, not that they're past license, but they're often just available as kind of freeware, really. Um, 
and they're all great. You know, it's it's a little, it's got a very different purpose to games that are around now, and they're not as, uh, I guess, flashy and shiny like all the games that are released these days, but they are just as good, if not better. I'm going to say it. So have a look, have a look. Now, that brings us up a lot closer. I am skipping across time frames. I'm just giving you some highlights of my own just across those time periods. I'm sure you have your own. Hopefully, me chatting away has made you think of some of your own favourites. Um, and I'm sure everyone's got different ones, and, and I'm sure there are a few shared ones there because there are always those releases that just capture people's imagination and you just love to this day. So, you know what? Let me know. Let me know your favourite games. Let me know why you love them so much. You know, so message me, Swamp Buster Guitars, and, you know, give me some feedback on this episode if you have a listen and, yeah, you have fond memories of your gaming experiences. Um, Hey, and even if you're a youngin' or you're older than me, please don't let that stop you. You can give me your favourites if they're brand new. That's not a problem. I'd, I'd love to hear it regardless. Uh, now, from the, more, from the more recent period of time, I'm going to skip across both the PS2, because we, we've, had, we've had game systems pretty much ongoing on a kind of loose level. Um, I have had a PS1. I have had a Nintendo Nintendo 64, you know, PS2, and it just keeps going. And, and some of them are just hand-me-downs from people, and some are, um, you know, the family had them, then no one's playing it, so I've just taken it, because I do enjoy a little bit of retro gaming here and there if I've got the opportunity. I don't have many of those now, but the PS2 I still have, and that is a that has been a brilliant piece of tech too, because this was the first release one. It looks like just a large block. Um, and it's just, it's taken a beating. I've had my son stand on it. I've had my, my son, I'm not going to point my finger at him, but like when he was very young anyway, and it fell off something as well. He made it fall off and smash on the ground. And it's always worked. It's been, games inside it have been wrecked by being stood on, but the, the system itself has always worked. So it really stands testament to how it was made. It really is a rare piece of uh, tech, I think, in the fact that it's so hardy. So I've got nothing but praise for the PS2 as a as a piece of hardware. Um, some of the standout games from that are probably for me uh, were always the Grand Theft Auto games. I whatever people think of the experience on Grand Theft Auto. Even if you think of it as an open-world adventure game without all of the violent tendencies, it's a fantastic experience. Uh, you know, there, there are different stories within it. I won't go into all the different stories and everything and how each game plays out, but just in general, that setting of a city, uh, a certain kind of city, um, the one that, that really grabbed me in the first place was Grand Theft Auto 3, uh, set in a... Liberty City, which is essentially a fictional New York, really, and it's just it, it conveys a certain atmosphere and spirit, and you can just journey around it. You can grab a car and you can drive around, and at the time that was a deeply thrilling and satisfying thing to be able to do. Hop in any car and just go. Uh, it of course got more involved and, and looked better. The Vice City was the one I actually got for myself. I actually got that as a present and 
played that out and set in the 80s and that really in a lot of ways I remember with the most fondness I think because of its setting the overall vibe of the 80s soundtrack because they also were able to incorporate full soundtracks into their um, you know radio player because when you hop in a car you can change the station and they have these preset stations that you can listen to doing you know handling talkback radio and comedy radio hard rock and pop and rap so it's great because it's just that mini world within a world and Vice City really was very much that it, it was able to able to develop a, a certain kind of character in itself and it was the character and uh, yeah it was just very addictive it was nice to go back there and that was more of a Miami Florida kind of vibe about it and uh just cruising the streets, it, it felt warmer. The, the way they did the lighting, the way that they they built the landscapes and buildings, it had a sort of a Cuban area there as well, so you, you can get the little lowriders and cruise around. It was just really, really cool. It had a real attitude and personality. It was all of its own. It was, it was awesome. Uh, San Andreas, uh, which was a, a huge jump in terms of what it allowed, it was basically a whole state. And there were small towns. There were there were numerous large cities. There were big wilderness areas, and then you could also change the characters' build by. And this is in real time. Well, real time, sort of accelerated real time. You could beef them up. They could get you know overweight and very large, or they could get really underweight and very thin. They could pump iron and, and get really uh, muscly and, and toned, and go to the hairdresser and get tattoos. It was, and could swim, and this was the first time where the protagonist in the game could actually swim, which just makes it almost limitless in what you can do. And there was also, uh, you could fly aircraft, which you could do in Vice City, but there was only a couple. Uh, San Andreas really built that out, and there was a lot more available to you to use. So the environment was almost without bounds. So it was, re- and it was even a jetpack. So it, it kind of went, it went from one and it just went completely off the charts. So San Andreas on the PS2 is really the pinnacle of the experience, and I would say one of the the better games on the PS2. Full stop, uh, in my opinion. Also, Killzone was uh, a great game. That's a first-person shooter, but it's sci-fi uh, linked. But it doesn't feel too far-fetched. In, uh, in what it portrays and the overall look of it and the graphic quality. Just a really good, fun game. And that was one that my mates and I used to play, uh, you know, taking turns to, to do different scenarios. Because you could do, like, team deathmatch kind of setups, which is so commonplace now with all the Call of Duties and, and everything. But that was one that we really enjoyed for a long time has a great replay value but even playing it as a single player campaign was really good fun and uh, yeah it was it was a very involved story too so that was that was a real standout as well Um, now I mean look there's there's so many there's so many games that we we can't go through but just taking a cross section just thinking if there's any more for the PS2 that deserve uh, particular note that, that I played, but you know what? I'm going to step up, move to the 360, Xbox 360. So instead of going to PS3, uh, through well circumstance, I suppose, 
uh, my brother very kindly gave my kids an Xbox 360 and we started to get, you know, games. Oh, let me just quickly, quickly just flash back. I just thought of Gun. Now, Gun is like the precursor to Red Dead Redemption in my mind. It's a different company, uh, but that is a game. It's a Western. It's semi-open world, and it was very, it was had some great voice actors and actors involved in, in producing it. And that's one that I would highly recommend to anyone who enjoys and has, still has a PS2 and the ability to play it. But I think you can also get it on PCs now anyway. My son and I were watching some retro PC setups the other day and I'm pretty confident you can get your hands on gun if you would like to. So not to, to uh, dwell on that for too long, check that one out because if you do love Red Dead Redemption and the, the Grand Theft Auto type games and good western stories, that one is a, a real strong standout as well. And I think I've always kind of said that the Vice City, San Andreas and Gun were my, my really, my favourite games from the PS2 era. Okay, back up to 360. So my, my brother uh, gave a, a, an Xbox 360 to my kids and uh, they had a few, few games that came up with that, like Star Wars Unleashed. Um, and I think it was one of the, those Need for Speed type games as well, and a few others like that. Spider Man. I think that was some of their earliest game experiences on the 360. But we got Red Dead Redemption quite early on. Now that still remains one of my favourite games of, of all time. I think coming from the same uh, from Rockstar, same producers of the Grand Theft Auto games and, and many others of course it was just so uh, believable and well crafted the world, the characters the the overall look and feel and atmosphere that was conveyed by the way, I mean it's all fictional but they're based on places we all can identify with and, and imagine the Wild West to be and so it was this lovely blend of what would have been realistic but also that that spaghetti western, revisionist western, where we want it to be gritty and kind of ugly, but there's this beauty in that as well. And, uh, you know, Armadillo, the town of Armadillo is like the quintessential uh, western town. It's just got that one one street town, the shops on either side, the wooden, you know, the wooden porches, people standing out, leaning on the posts, waiting to, you know, pick a fight with somebody, and the muddy... Uh, cart trails and hoof prints through the town from you know traffic of the day and the old steam uh, railway that, that comes through town once a day as well bringing the trade and the people so it, it just it it really does conjure that perfect vision of of the west um, there's also a more more northerly i guess uh eastern coast kind of town in blackwater and then going further south, there's also a Mexican sort of state that you can that you eventually go into, and, and there's a whole story that unravels there as well. And it's just such a, a, a broad experience. It's one that you don't forget easily because the best thing about that being that the story is also very affecting and ultimately very tragic. And it's one that stays with you, and you sort of forever lament the the way that the story ran out. So. It's uh, it's highly recommended, and if you've played number two, which is of course fairly recent now, uh, 
you'll want to go back, and I think I highly recommend it. If you can forgive the fact that you're going backwards in, in graphics quality and uh, I guess overall just the lighting and shadow effects of, of today's systems is just crazy. But if you can forgive that and appreciate it for what it was and, and the year it was released, the amount of work that went into it, you'll love the experience. So that's one that I highly recommend. Um, also, another one, another series, and I brought this up right back uh, ages ago as a, as a series of games, was the Assassin's Creed games. And I'd played number two, um, which is set in Italy, of course, and uh, I had played the first one as well. And I suppose they, they didn't really capture my imagination but I'd seen promo uh, trailers and gameplay trailers for Assassin's Creed 3. Uh, I really appreciated the, the historical setting because that's set in America and uh, it was fairly early on in the piece with, with Western settlement. And the, the protagonist in that is actually of Native American descent or mixed descent anyway and uh, that, that person becomes the, the assassin's creed of the title well the assassin of the title and but just the, the overall look of the game really had me quite excited to play it it was, had a much more open world element, uh, wilderness areas of course, you could journey through the forests and, and it would be areas where it was covered in snow but you could sort of wade knee deep through the snow leaving tracks I guess all of those little touches that add to the realism of the experience really uh, got me interested and I found them that I, I really wanted to get that one so I did, I, I bought that one and uh, it was a little buggy it, it's probably by no means a perfect release there's a lot of little things that happen you know, a horse and car get stuck halfway through a door or someone you're speaking to is much further to the left than they should be and all sorts of strange little bugs which can really grate the nerves uh, for some people. I, I don't mind it so much, you just kind of <laughs> smirk and move on but it was it was by no means perfect and I think uh, it was probably more of a precursor to the, the Black Flag release which uh, was quite quick really afterwards. So I think what they did was realise the strong elements of 3 realised that there were some really great ideas like naval battle was uh, in three but it was very set it wasn't open and uh, smooth transition you would go and it would take you out there would load up that scenario but the dynamics when you're on the ship were really great it was a very a very uh, great kind of natural feeling and I think they took the best elements of that and created black flag off the back of it and that for me is the best one. You know, I've seen gameplay from the ones that have come since, uh, and they're all very good to look at. They're beautiful looking games, and they're um, I'm sure they're all very enjoyable in the stories and, and the characters that they build up again. But there's nothing quite like Black Flag for me. I like the the setting in the Caribbean. I like the the characters. It's a little more a blockbuster movie feeling rather than trying to be too deep I think in the story and the emotion it has a great story all the same but it does have fun with it it has a lot more fun with what's going on through the story and he's just a rock and roll and pirate kind of character that you love to hate and hate to love <laughs> um, Edward Kenway pretty sure his name is 
and it's just basically following him throughout his adventures and there's a massive open world that they've done very cleverly because there's uh, amongst the hundreds of tropical islands that are throughout this this area to sail many you can't land on but you sail past them so there's still a physical thing in that world you just it doesn't have to deal with the management of you being able to land on every single island. <laughs> I'm here again. Now you would have had episode 10 cut off on you because in this <laughs> real-time learning experience that is Anchor, uh, I've discovered that it has an hour limit. So that's okay. I've got a few things to work out. So you'll have to bear with the amateur nature of this podcast. But I'm hoping that's part of its appeal. The unscripted, untrained, <laughs> unspecialized approach that I have uh, is hopefully something that works for people. So, yeah, still uh, don't be put off by my, uh, my lack of professionalism because uh, we're here for the long haul. Okay, so this is like, now let's call this uh, episode 10 extended. Let's call it that, which is a bit special. I don't want to call it 11 because we're still on the same uh, theme and I didn't really round off that episode well. Another thing I have to work out is how to adequately put my little tune in at the start and at the end of the episode. There's a few little differences and if you bear with me, hopefully you still enjoy the experience. I'm getting very used to having the music at the start and the end too. It sort of uh, mentally prepares me as I hear it come in. So. Maybe that works the same for the listener. But uh, yes, alas, I haven't got that far yet. I had it in the background at the start of the other one, but it's not, yeah, it didn't work the right way. So bear with me, people, please, please. Okay, so we were up to discussing, well, as far as I can recall, the Assassin's Creed Black Flag installment. And I did go into a few little details of why I think that that's such a great game and a great experience. Um, if there's anything you'd like me to expand on or you felt that was rudely cut off at the end of the, the full episode, the full hour, let me know and I will try to go over that again. But I think we'll, we'll move forward slightly more, except this kind of crosses the span between uh, the Xbox 360 and the, the Xbox One, which was kind of my last experience. My, my boys have... Uh, PS4 and uh, the improved Xbox One S and they, they, you know, they worked hard for it they saved some money up from birthdays and, and jobs and so on and so forth to get those and uh, they they have positives and negatives for both you know units, both platforms but my experience kind of stopped with a little bit of Xbox One uh, so with Far Cry 3, now that was a, th- a 360 release uh, and I did get that for for our Xbox, and I thought that that was a tremendous game. Now, again, that's a, an open world. It's first person. Uh, it's basically it is a you know run and gun kind of setup where the protagonist is part of a a larger story. They sort of find themselves uh, falling into the situation and. Uh, slowly adapt and improve and become quite effective at uh, getting stuff sorted so to speak there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of explosions and pyrotechnics and craziness there's uh, a heck of a lot of guns on hand to choose from 
Uh, and look, I honestly thought they were great games. Uh, again, Far Cry 3 is a, a tropical setting, and I think that's why I really like it. I'm very fond of it. There's a sense of adventure when you pick a tropical location, I think. And it's, uh, it's got two islands as part of the map, and you start on the first one, which is quite quite tropical it's it's quite there's a lot of jungle there's a lot of mountains the the second one you go to is a little more uh, sparse and open so there's a lot more grasslands and rolling hills and and open farmland and stuff like that so they're, they're quite different in their their layout and there's a lot of different creatures around i think they've they've pushed the uh the realms of realism with what's available on the island you there's komodo dragons but then there's also I think there's jaguars. I think there's jaguars. And there's crocodiles and uh, all sorts of nasties basically <laughs> hiding around the place. Even the uh, cassowaries are pretty vicious in it. They, they need to be sorted out. There's wild pig. Um, but anyway, there's, there's, a, there's always a faction that controls a huge amount of the map when you start. And then you slowly work your influence over the the areas by helping out in different story missions but then also some independent sort of off story stuff that you can do and normally i've tended to always prefer uh, unlocking or opening up access to some of the areas that were under enemy control just by taking you could take these uh towers and if you were successful in climbing the tower it would unlock a weapon and then it would show you or any key uh, outposts or enemy installations in that surrounding area and you could then go and uh, take over. So if you can effectively, let's just say, if you can effectively kill every guard in one of these outposts and knock out the, the alarm so they're not sent reinforcements, then you take over that little base and you'd take the control of that that the immediate area surrounding it and you'll start to see more friendlies uh, driving around in air vehicles and it's not such a threat so there's a nice balance that you strike where it, there's still a lot of stuff going on around you where it's bad because really you do want the action you don't want it to be all peace but at the same time it's nice not to have to fight people everywhere you go so look it's a tremendously um, addictive experience and I think in the same way that Black Flag is just the the, loca- the locality and the way they uh, they wrote the story into the setting, I think it works really well. Even just a little, not a little touch, but having they have Japanese uh, World War Two uh, installations, you know, bunkers and gun emplacements and so on, and you can find letters from soldiers and you might find a, a corpse you know, in these ruins, and it just gives you a little bit of history about, I guess, that region. I mean, I think the the island itself is fictional, but the, the setting and the way that they've built it into where it is in the world, it works. It, it's, uh, it is definitely related to a lot of those, those outer Pacific islands that are in the, uh, you know, in the, to the northeast and north of Australia. And, uh, and yeah, and, and east of Australia as well, of course, because there's so many islands throughout. So that, that was an awesome experience. And, and then, of course, there was Far Cry 4, 
which was released, I think, about, across both platforms, uh, the 360 and also the Xbox One. Now, I'm talking more exclusively Xbox because um, that was my experience. I'm sure there are people that, uh, that love and uh, prefer the, the PS4, but uh, yeah, my experience was with the Xbox and, and it was really cool. So Far Cry 4, again, it was just a, a massive game set in a more of a Nepalese uh, setting. And it never, I forget the, the name of the land that they called it, but just the characters they put into it, some of the culture that they're able to sort of slip into the story, even though it's fictional, it just creates a whole different semi-realistic fiction, and it's uh, it's really effective. It's really good. It because the scenery is amazing in this one. This is you you look out to the horizon, and there are Everest-like mountains everywhere. It's it's quite incredible. You feel like you could go out there and climb them. Um, but again, you, you're the protagonist, and you're you find yourself in this situation, thrown into it. And kind of making head or tail of it is is a bit hard at the start, but as you play through the story, you start to piece it together and gain in skill and the equipment that you have at hand to use. The great thing about Far Cry 4 was that it brought in the use of uh, gyrocopters, but because I think they didn't, they wanted to limit just how easy they made getting around. So gyrocopters have a, an operating ceiling. So if you go up too high, and we're only talking maybe, you know, in real terms, maybe 30 metres or so, it would stall and then want to fall back down to the earth. So it's not something you wanted. So it was something that uh, you could get around quickly in, but you were still within range of uh, any of the ground forces that were in that area. And so you would have to use it cleverly or, or very quickly and efficiently to get around without getting shot down. Uh, they were able to bring in a whole host of other creatures for that area, uh, one being elephants, and they could also be part of the attack that you had. And that was something that I forgot to say from before because that was something you could do in Far Cry 3. Some of these these uh, bases keep saying bases it sounds really juvenile some of these these bases had animals in cages as part of you know they were just keeping something in a cage whether it's a bear or a couple of hunting dogs or a, a mountain lion and from a distance if you had the right equipment you could shoot silently and open the cage and you know a great way to kick off proceedings was to release this fierce creature from its uh, from its cage, and it would attack the the guards in the immediate area, and so they'd be distracted momentarily while they're trying to take care of that issue, and you could go in and cause all sorts of trouble. Um, <laughs> so you got Molotov cocktails, flamethrowers, rocket launchers. Um, oh, what else? Grenade launchers, and. Yeah, the sniper rifles was always my preferred thing and trying to do it as quietly as possible. I'm sure Eero would have something to say about it. <laughs> but uh, it was good fun anyway. So Far Cry 3 and 4, definitely highlights for me. Far Cry 4 was probably the last game that I played extensively on any platform. I played a fair bit of that and um, and actually played the story until until it was completed. 
uh, and then I guess from from there on in, it's been a case of what I've seen, my kids enjoying and playing, and I guess the continuations of the the series that I've already enjoyed, that I already knew I enjoyed. So you know, I, I saw when. Assassin's Creed Unity came out, Assassin's Creed Syndicate came out, uh, Assassin's Creed, now I've forgotten the name of it of course as well, the one in Egypt, uh, which has been the most recent, I think. And these games continue to develop and grow and it becomes more complicated in the environment, what they can create in the environment. But nothing's quite drawn me in like uh, Black Flag and I've not really been as driven to sit down and try and get any um, time playing them. Uh, I did play a little bit of Battlefield 1 uh, because it was set in World War 1 and that was actually a really it was a really good experience I think that they they wrote some nice stories that paid homage to the, the people that fought and died in the different campaigns across the world uh, without going as far as sort of I guess disrespecting their memory. Uh, it was it paid homage, but you were normally a side character that was part of a larger mission, a larger picture, and something that uh, was yeah semi-realistic as well. Certainly based on real events. But I really liked that. I think probably the only thing you you would say your eyebrows raise at was the sheer volume of weaponry that you could select from. And there was some very modern-feeling weaponry that seemed a bit more of the World War II era. And they might have been in you know prototyping or production at that point, but um, it was something that, yeah, I guess it was good to make the game more playable. People like lots of guns, <laughs> you know. This, and I guess uh, as we get, of course, how annoying. Okay. So I just had a phone call there. So I'm going to have to snippet that out. That's so irritating when that happens. Ah, <laughs> oh dear. Okay, so the, the, yeah, the continuation of the Assassin's Creed games were brilliant. And uh, I was talking about the Battlefield experience. I think that that's one to look at, definitely, if you enjoy that. The Call of Duty games are, of course, a, a brilliant experience as well. They do... Uh, Modern Warfare, Modern Warfare 2 and Modern Warfare 3 were just really excellent. But Black Ops is probably, in terms of first-person shooters, other than Far Cry, which is a bit of a different kind of thing. You've got that adventure element to it. Um, Black Ops, I think that the story writing... I mean, I've gone through this in a previous episode because of my interest in the Cold War, and it was definitely something that, that helped fuel that. Uh, Black Ops just had the ingredients of the modern warfare games but it, with that historical with that appreciation of the historical events and I think that's what I liked the most about it it wasn't just a World War 2 game not to downplay World War 2 games but it wasn't just something set in the in the big campaigns of World War 2 it was something that was a little more involved I'd done a bit more research and, and written some quite intricate intricately plotted uh 
uh, missions that sort of took place, you know, all over the world, but were relevant to different conflicts that were happening. And I thought that that was a real standout thing. So that would be my favourite first-person shooter. You know, and then Far Cry Three and Four. Let's put a, a, a hyphen between them. Assassin's Creed Black Flag, without a doubt, and uh, Red Dead Redemption One. And then let's uh, finish off with. Red Dead Redemption 2 and Grand Theft Auto 5. Now, Grand Theft Auto 4 was brilliant. It was uh, because you had all those in-betweens that were more episodic, like Vice City, San Andreas, uh, Liberty City Stories, Vice City Stories. There was a lot of in-between episodes. They didn't go out for an outright sequel. But then Grand Theft Auto 4 was, was fantastic. And I was finding it hard to imagine them bettering it but they certainly did with five. It's just so involved. You could just drive around for hours watching the little details because it seems so lived in. There are people walking their dogs. There's people playing, you know, ball, people playing tennis as you drive past the courts, people sitting there at a cafe, people on their phone. And I guess that's the thing they've been able to incorporate, more use of a of smartphone. And... It just seems so. It, it seems like such a living and breathing place. And I, the good thing that they did with that was create three characters that you could switch between. Uh, I guess if you felt that you were getting a bit tired of this one person's story, you could literally just switch out and go to the other one. And sometimes you would have to switch out as part of the story mode. But that's what made it a little more varied, a little more interesting and fun. And so that was a, a great expansion on the, the idea that was already brilliant as it was. And just the, the, the sheer amount of detail that they were able to put into the game. They just did a wonderful job with that on the whole. They did move it across to the, the new platforms, PS4 and the Xbox One, uh, and made it you'd be able to go to first-person mode as well. I never really played it on that and I think I was very happy with it on the 360 and this is maybe showing my age now it was something that I didn't feel any drive to go and play the best version of it the best in inverted commas but um, I was quite happy with how it came across they weren't I don't think the plan was to take it to the the other platforms so they really did do the best possible job they could with the 360 and the way that it ran you wouldn't believe that that was the same gaming system that had been around eight or nine years and some of the games that were at the start it just would be completely different to look at to what was coming out then just towards the end of its lifespan so that's highly recommended as a a story experience Uh, all these games are relatively violent so if you're not uh, into that kind of game experience then that's understandable and and that's just a a little warning I suppose for you but uh, it is possible to play them with less or more violence, I suppose, depending on your approach as well. Look, a lot of the story does involve it, so if you can cope with that, you can play through, but if you enjoy just checking it out, there's a lot of that to be done as well, just moving around and having a look at the open world. Um, Skyrim's another one, you know, the Elder Scrolls saga, that's a, a massive saga. Skyrim being the one that really stood out to me, I think I just liked the setting. I liked that there was a little harder feeling, a little it was a bit it was a bit colder and more menacing in, in that particular world. They they've been around for a long time and they'd they'd always been 
open worlds and quite involved in the stories and what you could do. But Skyrim just, uh, again, it's like a living and breathing experience and there's so many side quests that you really don't have to do the main story until you're absolutely stumped for something to do. (laughs) So if you like that kind of all-encompassing experience, it's just one to sink into and you could lose yourself for days. If you've got that time of kind of time to spend on a game, then that's a, another highly recommended gaming experience for those of you who don't mind playing games that are getting a little older now. But then that brings us uh, up to Red Dead 2, Red Dead Redemption 2, which has been a fairly recent release. I can't remember if it's month of release, but according to my, my boys, it is the bee's knees, so to speak. It's just a, a fantastic experience all around. They've, they've done everything possible to top the first one and then exceed it by a long way, just in every aspect. And that's through the characters that they've, they've brought in, some of the older characters that are reintroduced, and you see a different part of their development, their story. And also the setting as well. There are some of the original locations, but they've been tweaked and improved. And also there are new locations or they've gone into a lot more detail, sort of expanded a region that maybe was, you saw a little bit of in the first one, but they were able to build on and increase the size of it. I had, I think I've just had the one play for maybe an hour uh, on my son's insistence. And it was just, I didn't even do anything of of a story nature. I just got on a horse and went for a ride and just checked out the, the weather system and rode through some of the different landscapes. Um, sort of started side quests that kind of just would appear in front of me. Things that would happen all of a sudden and you'd just find yourself going along a certain trail. And I think that that's the beauty of that game. It's but There's fully customizable weapons once you get them and your your outfits you can grow your facial hair or shave and cut and get a haircut there's some really great uh, you can you know, train your horse and then make you have to maintain a positive relationship with the horse so it doesn't you know, kick you off at a, at a moment's notice there's some really cool aspects it hasn't changed the first experience to the point where it's, it's not familiar though it's kept all of the best parts of the first game and then expanded on them and and just peppered it with some really great extras and you know from all accounts it's just the the best game the best game in history (laughs) Uh, and we think that all the time every time there's a new release that really ticks all the boxes that's how we feel but from all accounts it is uh, just a tremendous experience so that comes highly recommended particularly for my kids (laughs) so um yeah, but that brings us pretty much to the end of my, my gaming experience. There's, there's lots of other little things. I mean, I've had different games on, on the smartphone as people can, you know, you can get anything now, everything from, what is it, uh, Candy Crush. You know, I've never played that. It's never been my kind of game. Angry Birds and, and all those, the, what was that one, Flappy Bird? That was, that was a bit of a thing for a while there. There's always little fads that come out, and a lot of those games are free, you know, and then there's a lot of content you buy or you've got advertising to sort of contend with. Um, A game that I I really did enjoy 
that was quite a large one. I, I've liked the hunting games that you can get, uh, but I also liked War Wings, which was a, a, a flight one that involved air combat. Uh, I, I tend to think that a lot of these are also Fallout Shelter. Look, that was a brilliant experience, I and mean, it's a great game. But the issue with having them on your phone is that it's just too damn tempting. And you end up sitting there constantly loading it up and because all these games often you can only play in bits because it'll you'll have to wait for credits or that's where you have to buy you know credits if you want to keep playing the game in one sitting or you've just got to wait it out. So you find yourself checking or you'll get a notification through you know every hour. Oh, you have five more coins to spend or you've just found this or your base is under attack and it sort of forces you to check in on the game all day long. It's not something I'm a fan of. It does suck you in, but I get a little bit fed up with that feeling. Now, that's my own fault, obviously. I've <laughs> gone in and, and, and tried the experience. But, yeah, I think that's where I've really gone off those kinds of games completely. I'd, I'd rather uh, not be distracted by those sorts of things throughout the day. So don't really have those. Uh, I just keep the, the old traditional like Yahtzee and Solitaire <laughs> on my phone and I'm quite happy with that because that just kills you know five ten minutes here and there and yeah everything else you can you can do on YouTube Wikipedia and all these wonderful social media platforms but yeah War Wings is probably the biggest game that I played and and played the most of for a while uh, it was yeah, pretty expansive and, and uh, pretty good fun, pretty addictive. You're, you're trying to, as, as the word is now, grind. Grind for points or grind for, for score so you can purchase the next plane up. And, and that's what I found myself doing, sadly. Um, talking of grinding, though, you know, my, my, my son plays a lot of Destiny. He loves Destiny. That's, uh, I mean, that's been around now for a long time, but it's now there's Destiny 2. And I think that's one of those games where they, to keep their, their player base, they release content that uh, hopefully most of the time enthuses their, their base and gets them more excited or you know holds onto them for a lot longer. So there's new weapons, there's new maps, there's new uh, sort of uh, level designs or battle designs, quest designs, quests, that's the name of it. Um, yeah, it's not something I could see myself getting into, mainly because of the time that is needed to be invested in these experiences. Um, there's also oh, there's so many. I don't I don't think I can even think of them all. <laughs> but there, there's just so many in terms of the the games that are released now, and they go all the way from the the games that you can get on Steam, which is you know PC based uh, game platform and website and you can you can get some pretty good they, they have some good uh, they have some good specials uh, from what my kids have told me you know certain sales that they have you can get some very very high class titles for a very good price from time to time and uh, that's probably where that advantage is if you're a PC gamer you can get some great games that are perhaps not brand new but uh, they're still really releases and for a really really affordable price they're very enjoyable um, in terms of the the gaming platforms like the Xbox and PlayStation 
I suppose the premium title still cost you, you know, up up to a hundred dollars or sometimes over. Uh, they're often worth it. I think some of the ones you can download. There are a lot of smaller titles that are a more affordable option. And if you know what you're looking for and you do the research, and that's the wonderful thing in this day and age. There's just so much material out there to look at and research and, and preview before you make decisions that you can make a pretty informed decision before you buy something and uh, the way that multiplayer games work now it's if, if everyone else has bought this game and loves it there's every chance you'll love it too my son likes uh, PUBG which is player unknown battlegrounds which is sort of open world to a point but it's this great uh, battle royale kind of setup where it's a shrinking map starts with 100 players and you end up with either a team or a solo player as the last one left and I can see why it would be an exciting uh, way to play a game because each time you play it would be different so even if it's the same map you're going to drop this is what I was referring to with the airborne ranger uh, reference you drop and this is also Fortnite's kind of layer but Fortnite's a little more cartoony and it's uh, in its look, its graphic design. Um, yeah, you drop into a certain location on this large map and then over the course of a half hour, I think, it'll it'll slowly shrink until it's a very small space and, and basically it's the last one to be not dead. <laughs> and they're the winner. So same with uh, Fortnite. And there's some construction methods in in the games and you can get around vehicles and you can team up and there's lots of weapons that are sort of left around and it's sort of luck of the draw really if you manage to find uh, a decent weapon but yeah that's what keeps these kids coming back they, they love that kind of game format and yeah so my son definitely enjoys that and Rainbow Six Siege has got that kind of multiplayer appeal about it you know all the mates can jump on and and uh have a go. I'm not sure what the limits are on all these games, but the, yeah, there's so many multiplayer experiences now, and I think that's what it's become about the multiplayer experience. And if you've got five, six, seven mates, you can all be online together playing in a team. And in one way, you know, gaming and too much time on tech can be a little damaging because it, it can be something that they find hard to withdraw from and come and do something. A little more earthly based <laughs> but at the same time I'm a firm believer in the social aspect of it as well as long as everyone's being nice to each other I think that it does promote social interaction even though it's a different kind to what we older people might be thinking about I would much rather see my mates in person catch up and uh, and you know have a chat and a laugh than just online so I you know, it's not something that makes complete sense to me or a lot of people, I'm sure. But I can see in this day and age, you come home from school, you don't have to think about going anywhere. But later in the evening after dinner, you can sit down and play online with a group of your, your, your pals for a while. You know, and I guess that's kind of nice. And it keeps that social that social interaction and now they're connected across all these different things and there's many a time I've seen my kids with three or four active uh, you know the, the phones on tablets on computers on 
the PlayStation and the Xbox is on, and you think, how many things do you need? But there's there's a purpose for each of them. There's something going on, and there's a purpose for them. So it's getting beyond my understanding now, and I think that's where I, I probably haven't been as informative in that last section, talking about the newer games too, because it is something that... Uh, I haven't had as much experience with, and it's it's kind of overtaking me. I'm looking forward to hooking up the the Xbox 360 again and just playing some of my favourite titles, some of the old faves, and and enjoying that. There's not really any new ones that I feel particularly driven to get. It's like playing Colonization and Civilization, Sim City. I would still play those if they're easy to start up, and I. Just to cap things off, I thought I'd bring up one that was probably from that era, the, the Civilization era too. And that's one that I play, I have played online in a very <laughs> a very rustic fashion with Hero, is in close combat, Invasion Normandy. I can't believe I forgot about it. Now, for a long time I had like a demo version that had one map. And I think this stands testament to how clever they were with that game design. Because I've played that map, it's probably a little sad too, I've played that map uh, probably a hundred times when I had it back when I was younger, and probably a hundred times, if not more, because it's uh, there's a time limit on it, and you can if you, it can be ended sooner if you win or lose, um, but then I did eventually get the full version uh, for ten whole dollars <laughs> on one of those lovely bargain bin uh, things at the uh, at the games shops that we have here, and yeah, that that has been really cool. I just enjoy playing that. You can play it as a solo player and just work through the campaign of the, the Normandy invasion and landing, etc. Um, but Eero and I had figured out how to connect it using a pretty old-fashioned uh, host server and play against each other and. It was so rustic because I, we, we lost how we could do it because it was actually really awkward and a bit clunky. Uh, and it would be great to get a, a more modernised version that was a little easier to connect to each other. But we played a few games of that against each other and it was mightily enjoyable. Um, I, th- I think that only seeing what your, your mate's doing on screen, because you're fighting each other, one's the Germans, one's the Americans... Um, it can be quite frustrating, but also that's where the enjoyment is too, because you you want to see what they're going to do and how they're going to react. And yeah, it was just the one evening, but it was it was really cool, and and uh, we both really enjoyed it. So that's definitely one of those games I'd highly recommend as a as a bit of a retro experience if you've never played one and you don't mind some of those real time strategy games. That one's a real standout for me. They did make a few of those, and I think they made a re-release uh, of the series as well, which I, I haven't seen um, or been able to get my hands on. But that's something I'd be curious to, to play again as well, because that was such a cool experience. So I think that, uh, yeah, it's, it's look, it's a map view, and it's, uh, you know, the rolling hills and, and marshlands of, of northern France. And, yeah, you're playing the part of what the Americans or the Germans, depending on what you choose. And there's some other selectable options about how you fight the battles, what you can see, what the, uh, the general skill set of the, the troops are. 
and there's reinforcements. But what I like is that if you run a campaign, which is basically across a whole bunch of maps in succession, the the result of each battle will eventually affect the entire campaign. Because if you keep losing, you're going to use up your, your forces. You're not going to be able to reinforce the mappers effectively because you'll run out of, of well-trained troops. And then that will affect later battles. So even if you have to fight the same map two or three times, the old uh, mortar craters will be there. A lot of the uh, burnt-out vehicles will remain damaged buildings. So I like that real-time aspect of it, uh, particularly in those campaigns rather than the freestanding battles. So I was always more of a fan of playing it as a, as a larger story to sort of build up that that broader um, series of smaller stories, I guess, and yeah, see it affect the whole. So that's a that's a highly recommended gaming experience for those of you who are interested in that sort of thing. So yeah, again, after all of those things that I've recommended, I would still probably go back to and say above everything else, I would recommend those older games because there's just a charm in them and a simplicity that uh, you can't really... Uh, it's just hard to find these days in the same way. So would highly recommend them. You know, SimCity 2000, Colonization, Civilization 2, and good old Close Combat Invasion Normandy. Rightio, so I've, uh, I've been talking now again for another 36 minutes. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close this one down. This has been the episode 10 extension. Extended. Uh, for your, for your listening pleasure. I hope you've enjoyed it. It was a bit of a deviation from my uh, horror two-parter that I've, I've been trying to work on. I will endeavour to get back to that, perhaps episode 11, perhaps episode 12, just see how I feel. Look, as I said at the start, this is unscripted. It's, it's unplanned. I try to make it as informal and conversational as I can, as if I'm just jumped in the car with someone and we're just on our way across this damn city that takes so long to drive across and uh yeah just just shooting the breeze i was gonna say shooting something else but i'll like i said try not to swear um and yeah it's just trying to keep things casual so i hope it's an enjoyable experience for you i really enjoy your company uh when i've noticed that people are listening and it seems to be growing in numbers trying to put out a bit more of a uh, a wider sort of oh, <laughs> on Instagram trying trying to reach a wider audience I suppose by talking it up and letting people know that there's there's a lot more platforms that it's available on it's uh, it's something that if if people can get involved in the larger conversation or just enjoy listening to it then that's really cool I, I think that's a positive thing there's a lot of crap in the world and I think it's good to avoid that sometimes and just dwell on what's good. So hopefully we'll continue to do that with the, the Master of None podcast experience. And just remember, you can always be a part of the... I'm going to call it the show in this instance. You can always be a part of the cast by, by messaging me and you know letting me know what you're thinking or yeah, if you want to hear about something else, <laughs> ask me anything you like and I'll be as honest as I can within reason. And, yeah, I will see you again very, very soon for episode 11. Now, I hope episode 10 and its extension will uh, post well on Anchor and Spotify and Apple Podcasts and all those earlier mentioned ones. 
If there are any problems at all, uh, you can let me know as well, and I'll endeavour to try and fix them. I'm not particularly tech savvy, as I've mentioned a couple of times, so I am trying to work out the best way to be able to create an episode that at least has the start and finish music, and at least is easy to access and listen to, and is you know reasonably clear to hear as well. So if anyone has any tips on that, you can always feel free to let me know as well. I'm, I'm all ears and yeah <laughs> very fresh to it all so very keen to to learn about it and it, look as keep it simple <laughs> keep it simple for me and i'll appreciate it um so thanks again have a fantastic rest of the week i will see you soon for episode 11 this has been was with the master done podcast and this has been episode 10 with this extension uh signing off i'll catch you later bye